worst case scenarios. We engage with legal experts probably only when we need it as opposed to when we have to. But like all the hats that we do wear as small businesses, it's a good idea to arm yourself before the worst case scenario happens or worse still, before you're actually buried your head in the sand and it engulfs you. So today's program is all about doing that. I'm very excited to be welcoming Zoe Durand, who is the author of the book Inside Family Law, Rare and Candid Conversations with Those at the Coalface of the family law system. She's an expert in her field, working with the family law system for over a decade, specialising in mediation. And she's joined by Mark Lipson from Hall Chadwick. And he's to t- here to tell us about their experiences. Now, they've been working together um, to produce this book, which I, I must say is um, it's full of detail. There's a lot of information in there. Uh, it's got some real life stories. It's got a lot that we can learn from as small businesses. And we're going to be talking about tips of how to deal with the mess when small business and family law co- collide. So welcome to the show. Zoe and Mark. Thank you. Thanks yes, very much. Thanks very much for coming into the studio firstly. Now this is uh, this is a topic that we probably don't all want to talk about. Do you mm. find when you first meet with people they're a bit, I guess, nervous or they're not sure what to talk about? How do you really start those conversations about family law in um, the beginning? Well, when I speak with people and, and I've been a lawyer, as you said, for over a decade and also um, I'm working as a mediator. Actually, I find that people, there's a bit of an outpouring. They're ready to talk by the time I often meet with them. Um, look, when I see them, they're often in, in quite a state of worry, understandably. I mean, if you're looking at it from a small business angle, um, well, they're worried about it. I mean, obviously, you're worried about everything when you're separating. Um, what's going to happen to your children should you have them? But also, with regards to your business, they come in often quite worried. What's going to happen to my business? Is my ex going to take my business? Mm. Um, should I start? Should I be doing something now to hide or move assets? All these kind of questions will come at you um, when you're dealing with someone who's separating and there is a business. Um, so it's definitely, obviously, as you said, not something that people want to find them, a situation people want to find themselves in, but they often do find themselves in that situation. Can you explain to me what the role of a mediator is? Because I think we all we all get the, the judge, the lawyers, Mm-mm. the people who are defending or attacking. But what does a, a mediator do, particularly in this situation? Sure. Um, well, look, a mediator is a neutral third party. I don't want to digress too much away from it, but um, often your first port of call would be actually to speak with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And often then it's the lawyer that will arrange the mediation. Um, and at, at the mediation, if you're talking about from a small business point of view, there could be a mediation, say, on talking about how should the parties divide their assets, which could in- include the business as well. But often the lawyer will be your first um, port of call um, for that initial legal advice. That's good because so you'll sort of come in a little bit later in the Usually in the a little bit later, yeah. And uh, Mark, welcome to the program. Can you <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, where you sit in the, in, the, in the crux of all of this? Where does um, somewhere like Hall Chadwick's assist people in the process? Yes, well, we're forensic accountants and we uh, can be appointed jointly as a single expert uh, to provide, uh, in most cases, valuation reports for uh, small businesses and large businesses where the parties are going through uh, a family law uh, matter. Um, or we could be uh, uh, engaged to uh, uh, trace assets uh, if there has been allegations made by one party against another. Uh, we're usually uh, engaged uh, some some way part through the, the mm. process, um, but we could be appointed at the very end towards the court proceedings um, 
or we can be appointed uh, uh, right at the beginning. It, it just depends mm. on uh, on the nature of the dispute, the parties and the lawyers involved. So it's almost like both of you are kind of mediators. So you look after the, the let's all sit down at a table and chat, and you're mm. looking after the mediation of the numbers. That's very exciting. <laughs> Something that we all agree on, perhaps. Mm. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a mediator. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, uh, that's probably overstating the role that we have. Um, we're, we're, we're specific specifically uh, appointed to assist the court. That's mm-hmm. our uh, overriding and ar- overarching obligation uh, to provide uh, the court with the best financial evidence. Uh, if the matter does go to trial, to a final hearing, uh, then the judge has the best possible evidence uh, to make his determination of ha- how the property matters uh, are finally determined. Yeah, so you're sort of coming in and, and giving the reality of the situation in a, in a real it, it, it is numbers don't lie. Let's face it. You're in that forensic auditing sort of process, you, you you really find out everything that's there and lay it out all on the table as best as possible. Uh, that that's correct, and it's it's really up to uh, up to the lawyers um, like Zoe and uh, uh, and to a court to uh, to deal with. Uh, uh, the results of our investigation and reports. So Zoe, take me through the process mm. of uh, someone who's involved in, who has to be, become involved in family family courts mm. and they have a small business. Do you, you mentioned it just before the break that there was an asset pool. Can you explain yeah. to me what that asset pool is and how it affects the people involved? Sure. Well, look, this is actually one of the things I, I wanted to talk about today. Um, often when I see people, as I said, they're often saying, oh, look, and now, you know, she or he, they're coming after my business. Now, unfortunately, one of the things, well, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, is that um, when parties separate, one of the first things that, that the lawyers will do and that if the matter does go to court, that the court will want to know is what is in the asset pool. So think of the asset pool as like a big pot and whether it's a, a bicycle or a house or shares or superannuation. Oh, which yes, is often we a, don't think about that, mm, do we? Which is a very touchy one as well. Mm. Or your interest in a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it could be that you're a sole trader or it could be that you have um, a, 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 any other form of interest in a business business, then that will also be have to be given a value. Mm. So, you know, for example, people might say, oh, what's this house worth? You know, can we agree? If we can't agree, we might get a valuer to come and value the house. Now, that valuation thing is quite sticky because uh, say, for example, you're considering selling your business, mm. but you might be five or 10 years away from doing sure. that. How do you value a business when it's not in the, uh, able to be um, put into a, a specific number? I mean, I'll give you an example. So, mm. so I've got a bookkeeping practice. Uh, I was, I had someone who was a succession specialist come and talk to me and said, look, you know, bookkeeping practices are really great to, to buy and sell. And I thought to myself, oh, well, how do you even put mm. a figure on that? Now, if I got on the treadmill and thought about that over the next five years and built it up to a point where I knew it was sellable, that's all fine and well. But these things don't happen or they do happen when you least expect it. So how do you value something that's not just as an asset, like a business, is not ready to be sold? Uh, well, that's correct. In, in fact, uh I would say in 90% of uh, the family law matters we've been involved in in doing valuations, uh, the business is not going to be sold. Mm. So we have to impose um, a hypothetical situation in order to determine a value uh, using various valuation methodologies that would be employed if the business was subject to a commercial sale. Okay, that makes sense. So it's not, it's really just that number that's sort of allocated and it's an if in the scenario of you were selling, this is what it would be worth. Mm. But I guess in the, in the process of doing that, if you haven't even begun to get your business ready for selling, would it be 
of a lesser value? I mean, do you sort of <laughs> do you run it into the ground before you go to family law and just go, look, it's not worth anything because I'm not working in it at the moment because I'm I'm being really lazy, and therefore the valuers turn around and say, well. It's not worth anything anyway. Is that a good way to devalue it when you're walking into the courts? Well, or is the algorithm a little bit more complex? It's a little bit, a little bit more complex than that. Um, look, there's no doubt that where uh, a husband and wife uh, are subject to a family law matter, and one of them or both of them uh, own and operate a business. Um, the family law matter does affect the operations and the performance of that business in 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 the year of uh, or in it could be two years uh, of um, uh, going through their uh, family law uh, processes and procedures uh, but we 're so used to looking at that and understanding that that one of the issues we, one of the questions that we first ask as a single expert is uh, when did the matter uh, be filed in court and when was the uh, when did the the matter or at least the the marriage start to dev- uh, dissolve mm. and then we can track that in terms of the performance mm. of the business it 's almost a date stamp. Well, no, obviously it's not going to be exact, or maybe it is in yeah. certain circumstances. Yeah. But, but I will say this, that most uh, most medium, small to medium-sized businesses where it's the single income earner for the family, uh, they tend to protect that uh, income environment mm-hmm. uh, because it's the only thing that's paying the rent and paying the school fees. Now let's talk about mm. the process of where you get to that evaluation because I'm just a bit curious about, about that. What are some of the things that a business owner uh, should do uh, and will be asked to provide in the situation mm. where they have to give help you to create an evaluation? What sort of reports are you after specifically? All right. Once we're engaged, uh, the, the, the initial documents we look for uh, the financial statements of the business and we... we Going back how many years would you say typically? Three to four years. Right. And we ask for the tax returns for the business and we also ask for the tax returns of the husband and wife. So they're the initial documents. We analyse those particular documents and inevitably what we find is that uh, there are more documents required that springboard mm. off mm. those initial documents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you open a can of worms. <laughs> well, it's, everyone prepares their accounts differently um, and we have to interpret uh, that difference over a wide range of of, uh, income uh, preparation methodologies mm, mm. Uh, as a consequence uh, uh, in order for us to properly advise the court we need to get behind those numbers as best as possible. And in terms of getting behind those numbers they must be accurate because it's a court order am, am I right in assuming um, that? Sorry? One thing I would say I'll just jump in there is that there actually is an obligation so um, or both parties are obligated to provide full and frank financial disclosure and, and Mark you're probably aware of that as well um, obviously so that would be you know whether or not there is a business obviously there is we're doing small biz today mm. but um, you have to provide financial statements bank records bass tax documents all of that has to go to, to the other side as I said not always sometimes when you meet clients for the first time that's they go oh I need to start hiding things it's almost anti sort of the opposite to what your intuition is is to provide everything and be full and frank but in my opinion personally I think it's important um, to comply, and regardless of my opinion, there is an obligation to um, provide full and frank financial disclosure. And beyond that, um, 
what I've seen over the years anecdotally, as matters go on through court, if you're not full and frank, things always have a way of coming to light, especially when the other side is hunting for them. Mm. Um, and it's much better to be upfront about things. They often call the court, the, um, the family court, a court of perception, um, you know, just anecdotally again. Um, and what that means is you don't want to be doing things that are perceived to be sneaky or, or look bad. Um, usually your ex will has some <laughs> idea about what's going on in your business and they will, they will hunt down things. So, so that brings me to my next question, actually. If, if you get pushback from the other person who's saying, well, no, I actually dispute the value that has been put on this business, um, it, does that just lengthen the process and it's no good for anybody are you just better off just just getting it out there and being or, or what happens if that person mm, is pushing is back and agree? saying it's it's i don't agree but it's actually the facts what where does that go from there what, what do you mean like if they don't agree with the valuation yeah. and then but okay. it's actually true then mm. they haven't got a legal leg to stand on i presume well um mark can talk a bit more about that but um you can jointly appoint uh, an independent valuer who you then bound to accept that valuation right uh, in other times, uh, say, I don't know, the family accountant or someone else might have prepared a valuation and then the other side might say, well, I don't agree with that and they might then get an adversarial expert, which, Mark, you might want to touch so on. So what's that. an adversarial yeah. expert, Mark? Uh, an adversarial expert uh, is appointed by, by one party as opposed to jointly by both parties and that usually occurs when um, evaluation has been prepared, as Zoe quite correctly say, uh, has said, uh, by uh, the family accountant, which there is a question mark over independence uh, from that point of view, or it could be a report that's been uh, prepared by a single expert. Mm. Uh, but there are errors uh, that uh, are perceived to have occurred uh, in that reporting or valuation process by one party as opposed to the other, and they can seek leave from the family court uh, in order to adduce evidence from uh, someone, uh, an adversarial expert, mm. uh, who, in my view, uh, still has to be independent, still has to undertake a, a process uh, to produce a, uh, a, a robust and creditable valuation of the business. Uh, but they do so not from a joint expert point of view, but from a critique of a single expert and then produce an alternative valuation pointing out the errors that the single expert may have may have made. So I presume um, people such as yourself in that position, you have to have a certain level of, um, you know, you have to be part of a professional association, a certain level of accreditation in order to take on that role as opposed to someone who's just doing a basic evaluation such as an accountant. Would I be right in saying that? Look, uh, absolutely. Uh, the two main accounting bodies uh, which are the Chartered Accountants in uh, Australia and New Zealand, which I'm a member of, and I'm also a member of the CPA Australia's. Um, they, uh, uh, they're the two uh, major accounting bodies that uh, provide uh, uh, experts mm. uh, in a whole variety of areas, and one of them is valuations. Mm. Uh, uh, the Chartered uh, Accountants in Australia and New Zealand uh, are now offering uh, those people who work in the valuation space, not just in adversarial or uh, dispute valuations, but also in uh, valuations for mergers and acquisitions and business acquisitions, um, they offer a uh, specialised course to be accredited as a valuer. Well, that just goes to what we say on Small Biz Matters all the time, which is make sure that the people you're engaging with have uh, memberships of professional associations mm -hmm. and properly, uh, pro 
properly accredited. And you can always check those. Um, you can always ring up professional associations and check people's accreditation, which in this particular incidence, when we're talking about something quite sensitive and personal, such as family law, probably a good idea to do. So back to you, Zoe. Mm. Tell me a little bit about... Um, really, really worst case scenarios, which is you've got two people in a business, Mm. perhaps they are technically 50-50 partners, they've been working in this business Mm. for say a decade, Uh, it is the family business. You mean like a couple, like a, a, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I mean there there will be people out there listening to this today who might be in this scenario Mm. and... What what happens? What's take, take me through <laughs> the process? Happens? How do you? I could just. It's not as simple as just chopping it down the middle and then just people going their separate ways. I presume. No, I mean often uh, this is where things and, and this is where really when it's a family business and they're both heavily involved in the business. What I've seen and one thing I'd say before I go into this is you know you should obviously get specific advice about your situation. This is just very general comments. Yeah. Um, but obviously, what happens unfortunately is that sometimes. Um, well, firstly, as Mark says, they, people often do try and support the business and keep the business going because it's a source of income. Unfortunately, though, sometimes those sort of personal things can kind of infect the business and come into the business. Um, it can really affect staff morale. Um, I think what I've seen, just again, anecdotally speaking, when they both try and remain actively involved in the business after separation, I mean, that is very difficult to do without it sort of somehow affecting the business and affecting even the profitability of the business sometimes. Other times what I've seen is one party will step away from the business, but obviously if you've got that, then there's fears about is suddenly, as you said, the other side going to run the business down or try and do things to make the business look less profitable because they're angling to keep it. So therefore it's in their interest to make it look less profitable. Yeah. One thing you can do to sort of try and ensure against that, and it's not perfect, is um, before one party, say, steps away, you could look at something like um, putting in place um, a regular reporting requirement um, to, say, an independent accountant that is appointed by um, the party that's stepping away. Um, and so that gives some peace of mind. It's not perfect, but in most cases, it, you know, it, it's something to, as I said, get advice about your specific situation, mm. but it is something to consider because I think two separated people staying in a business, I mean, everyone's situation is different. There's not like a one size fits all. But, but in your experience. It's, what I've seen is, the. I mean, I think you, yeah, I mean, common sense would dictate that's quite hard yeah, yeah, to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the very close distant relationship when you want to be long distant. Mm, mm. <laughs> so um, perhaps one of the things people could do, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, is this a scenario where you might have, uh, say, a management consultant or a manager come in and step into the business and run the business while the two p- parties are no longer in the business? So you've got someone who's completely separate to both of you who you've both I mean, you agreed could definitely, works. Like, yeah, it's, it's not, as I said, that what I just suggested there was one possible option. You've suggested another option. There's a lot of different ways that people can manage that. One thing I would add here is what I think is, is very difficult is that with the court delays and the delays it takes for matters to get resolved, which that's a whole other radio show. We won't even go, go mm. into that but in detail. Just while you mention that, because that, that's actually quite pertinent, mm. typically how long? I mean, just, uh, people would probably walk in and just go when they speak to a mediator such as yourself and mm. go, how long is this going to take? <laughs> the mediation, look, if you do mediation and or some other settlement alternative dispute resolution process, it can be, fa- it is faster. Um, you know, most mediators, once the financial disclosure exchange has happened and provided there's an agreement about the business, mm. which that can take a bit of time, mm-hmm. and once that's done, the mediation can happen very quickly. But if you're talking about going through the court process right now, court delays in Sydney, I mean, it could be, Two years, it could be more. Gosh, I, I've seen cases go for years and years. Wow, so and, that's and a long time to be in limbo. The effect on a business would be massive. That, that, so, yeah, and yeah. the family and everything else. Okay, I didn't. I sort of didn't. 
I guess I, I hadn't realised that a mediation process is, is much more straightforward and it's a bit cleaner, And but both parties have to agree. Both parties have to agree to it. Um, I mean, once you're in the court process, sometimes the court can make orders about mediation occurring. It's not necessarily like one either or. Like mm-hmm. often once a matter's in court, parties still can either go to mediation, you know, it's like a parallel process. They can try mediation even though they've already filed in court or they can try, you know, even forget mediation, they can have a settlement conference, a roundtable settlement conference with both their lawyers. They can try other ways to resolve the matter just because the matter's in court it doesn't mean it can't resolve and sometimes if you're talking about a small business you do want to think about resolving it sooner rather than later of course it's hard to resolve it everything gets held up if there's not a value and that's where mark's important role comes in you do need to agree on the value of the business i think to, to be able to settle the matter normally and when you say the value of the business um do you also have to agree on i'm just thinking in the scenario of turning it into a bit of a partnership so changing the structure of the business so it becomes a partnership and then you look at one partner one person having a, a certain percentage of value and the other person based based on how much impact they had on the business before the split would that make sense kind of turning it into an 80 20 it doesn't necessarily i mean mm. it's sort of like look it's say for example i'll take another example the house mm. um often there's a sort of fight for one person wants to keep the house or who's going to keep the house or if we can't afford to both keep the house because neither of us can afford to buy each other out we might sell it there's all kinds of other factors that come into the mix as to how much of the asset pool so as i said the first step is you work out what's in the asset pool mm-hmm. but then after that parties need to think about well how how much of this asset pool am i going to keep and that's influenced and that's affected by things like what they've contributed what their future needs are which are probably beyond the scope of what we can really delve into today um but it's not necessarily straightforward that it's say 50 50 or yeah. it's not necessarily you know it depends on their specific case um what's meant to happen i mean you can ask both parties after a matter's ended and they'll say that this didn't happen but what's meant to happen is that it's meant to be a just and equitable outcome unfortunately often both sides feel that they were the one that gave more or yeah <laughs> but exactly yeah. is that something yeah. you factor in mark when you're looking at the value of a business do you look at the value of what each person has put into the business if they're sharing for example uh, no, <laughs> okay. uh, we uh, we just look at the business as a as an asset, and we value it uh, as at a particular date. Uh, and I, I I agree with with Zoe here. It uh, our experience um, in family law when valuing uh, businesses as assets, what we tend to find is that that particular asset in a property settlement uh, tends to. Uh, uh, be retained by the business controller, mm. who could be the husband or the wife, depending on the circumstances. It's it's very rare that I've ever come across where uh, a decision is made in a dispute uh, resolution process where that particular asset is split down the middle right. or some of it is hived off to one partner or mm. the other. Okay, mm. that's interesting mm. to hear what, what the mm. reality of it is, whereas opposed to the house where you just... It, where that becomes in the family becomes involved and the assets within the house and I suppose it gets a bit more complicated. Well, with the house, I mean, often again, there's someone who wants to retain the house, mm. I find. That may or may not be achievable. Sometimes the house might have to be sold and then the proceeds are divided. Sometimes businesses have to get sold as well. Yes, yeah. yeah. Very much so. So it sounds to me like you really, again, I mean, we talk about this a lot on Small Biz Matters, you need to know your numbers, you need to know where you stand at any point in time when, when disaster strikes, whether it be, you know, something adverse for the business itself or... Or something that happening in your family situation because the reality is when you run a small business 
uh, it's another baby and you have your family and it's all intertwined and the finances are all intertwined and it, I guess it does make things a little bit more complex. So it's good, it's good to know your numbers. Now, when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about the court's referral parrel powers, which means, uh, you know, what happens, what comes out of, of a, a particular family court matter and where the court might um, integrate, let's say, with other government organisations in relation to your finances, among other things. You are listening to Small Biz Matters and Alexi Boyd. I'll be back after this. At the beginning of the show, we were talking to the ATO's Braden Powell about the black economy, which segues nicely into what we're about to talk about now here with Zoe. We've got Zoe Durand and Mark Lipson. We're talking all about the book that has been launched inside of Family Law, What Small Business Needs to Be Aware Of. And the book itself, uh, Zoe, how long did it take you to produce? Is, it, is, is this your baby? Is this this is, is kind of my baby, actually. So, <laughs> How long were you working on it? Um uh first got the the need to do it um oh about two weeks before my daughter was born and then after that did you just then stop for two years you had the idea then you stopped how does anybody do anything when they have a child it's just well they have when they have babies i wrote this crazy plan that i was going to write this entire book in four months which must have been some crazy nuts thing i don't know two weeks before you give birth you have this crazy idea yeah you do you do i blame that yeah yeah, it's like and you're you're nesting and you're like you're setting up the nursery you're going you're going in overdrive Uh i actually think it's that um and then, of course, I didn't stick to that. I started working on it again when she was about four months. So sort of actually that would be about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, really intensively working on it, though, from about January, February this year. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's obviously got released late October. And you've got uh, lots of experts such as Mark uh, speaking yep. in the book as well. Who I'm else, very lucky. Who else have you um, referred to as your expert? Sure. So um, in the book, we've got Mark Lipson. We've also got um, Brian Pickup. Um, we've what does got, he do? So a similar role to Forensic Accountant, similar role to Mark Lipson. We've We've got Charlie Viola, who's a wealth management advisor um, from Pitcher Partners. I think he won Best Wealth Management Advisor of this year or something. Oh, um, interesting. And we've also got um, judges. So you've got Judge Joe Harmon. We've got the Honourable Justice Rose, former family court judge. We've got um, uh, uh, former retired um, Judge Sexton um, and also um, recently retired um, Stephen Scarlett, who is now a barrister, who was a judge. So, so tell me, how, how, did, how did you get all these people how together? Did I get just these through people? your experience? That's just through my experience. So through working, I mean, that's the thing, like... Uh, Working in the field of family law, and I'm sure um, Mark would agree with this, you, you know, it's quite a tight-knit field. I mean, we're not a cult or anything, but we all... It's like any specialised field. You see the same people around, you get to yeah, know each other, yeah. you have lunch, you have drinks, catch up. And we have all these interesting conversations. And I really wanted to... Like, this book is meant to be the bottled version of all those conversations. Like, let's just give these conversations we've had behind, you know, behind the scenes back to everyone, That's back to the public. That's a great way of, of looking at it, really. Like, a book is a, is a bottled content of all of your mm. experience. It's fantastic. And I, I do highly recommend it. It is... It is a really wonderful book. Lots of great content and very easy to read as well. Very easy to but digest. Chatty. It's like this conversation we're yeah, having now. It's a like conversation. <laughs> so um, let's delve into uh, just a quick subject about what the court's powers are, because I think there's a lot of fear mongering out there about, well, if I open up my finances and I open up mm. my business, then I'm going to have to tell everybody about it. What's the reality when um, these things go through the court? And is there any difference between when things go through the court versus mediation in terms of the powers that the court has to, to chat? Well, obviously... You know, and not that I'm at all you know, trying to say go to mediation so you can... I <laughs> know, oh, but, but it makes sense. What you're talking about earlier with the time and the simplicity of it. I mean, sorry, it might be just... Yeah, no, no, quite no. Simpli- no. Simplicity no, 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 myself, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. But well, one thing I would say is 
once the matter progresses to court, the court does have um, cross-referral powers. What that means is that it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to do this, but it's possible if it comes to light that there has been um, a fraud um, on the Commonwealth, that there has been not, not things haven't been done properly with your past um, tax returns and so forth, to put it simply, um, they can cross-refer the matter to the ATO. Mm-hmm. They can also potentially cross-refer the matter to the DPP. What about fair work? Um Oh, you got me there. I actually don't know that one off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm just terrified of fair work. Uh, you're terrified fair work of fair work. Is, 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 is a very, very powerful woman uh, who has a lot of impact on a lot of small businesses. So I'd be interested to see if if that's something that comes out a little bit. In, mm, that's in a good the, question. Yeah, I need to look that one years. up and I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Because if you seem to be not paying someone correctly, your employees, your staff mm. and, and those open mm. up, then I guess that would be a, a cross-referral possibility. But the ATO is definitely one of them. Mm. I mean, one thing I would say, and look, I'll get Mark to talk on this a bit more for, more further um, in a moment, is, um, look, and this is where it's sort of, this is not anything you're going to find in a textbook, but this is partly why I did the book. This is this is the kind of thing that Mark and I spoke about. Um, obviously, someone should always be squeaky clean, as we spoke about. But one thing I would say is that there are certain things that often come to light during the family court process that had these parties not separated, might never have come to light if I can put it that way. Yes. Well, that makes perfect sense. Would you agree with Mark? That Mark? Oh, very much so. Um, we tend to find that uh, when we're engaged, uh, part of that engagement, one of the solicitors uh, acting for the non-business controller uh, will make allegations uh, against their partner with regards to uh, uh, potential um, uh uh, incorrect disclosures on tax returns and in their financial statements. It certainly isn't uh, the dominant uh, yeah. instruction we get, but it does happen from time to time. Uh, or if uh, those instructions aren't given to us, when we go through our investigation process in the valuation uh, uh, procedures, uh, we pick up things and uh, and then we start asking questions because it doesn't look right. Right. And uh, as a consequence, uh, uh, that particular issue then comes bu- bubbling up to the surface. And is that typically something that we would see where people are diving into, say, the cash economy, the black economy, there's things that just don't look right till receipts don't match the other receipts kind mm. of thing. Probably the biggest issue for a small business is where they're selling goods as opposed to providing services is the valuation of stock at the end of the financial year, uh, which has an enormous impact on, uh, on profitability and therefore value. And what we tend to see, because we look at a business over a period of three or four years, uh, as we go into the, uh, that area or at least that time frame where the family law matter is, is up and running, uh, we tend to find that um, uh, the value of stock uh, suddenly changes uh, behaviour. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> Very, uh, uh, yeah, black magic, yeah, if yeah. you put it to you that <laughs> oh, way. Um, Next book title. Yeah. <laughs> and w- once we detect that, then we have to ask a series of questions because we just can't accept it as an independent person. Right, and you are independent. You've been mm. app- appointed either by both of the lawyers or by the court, so you have the power to ask those questions and to unravel those answers. Well, we don't have the power. What we do is we have the obligation to... Mm. Uh, to uh, to delve into it as uh, as best as possible, in order to provide the court with uh, the best possible financial evidence. A quick final question for both of you: Do you do you see it all the way through to the end, both of you, in your roles of this process? Like, does the mediator go all the way to the end, um, regardless of whether it goes to court? Do you sort of hang on to that case and support people through it? 
Well, as the mediator, it's usually you have a day or you might have another follow-up mediation where you're trying to resolve the matter. Now, if the mediation, if you're successful in it being able to resolve the whole matter, um, then that's the end. Yeah, well that's, done. <laughs> that's the end of the matter. <laughs> right, so you, you, you kind of see it through to a, to a logical conclusion. It can conclusion. be done in a day, you know, but it might be a big day. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Very long day with Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> and what about you, Mark? Well, it's, it's different with me. Uh, as the forensic accountant, once we've finished our report, uh, that can be the end of the matter for us. Unless it, uh, it's not accepted uh, at mediation mm-hmm. um, or at a... Um, uh, some other form of dispute resolution matter. Um, it goes to a hearing and then we have to be cross-examined mm. if if that is one of the issues where the parties can't agree with. Right. Uh, so uh, it, I would say more than 50% of our matters, we don't know whether they're resolved or not. Right, okay, because you just do the work and then... And then yeah, we move you just, on. You just, yeah, we, we get to move on, as opposed to the poor plaintiffs and the people involved in the, in the case. Mm. Um, well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. Zoe, where can people find out about the book and where they can sure. purchase it? Um, well, look, there's information on my website, which is www.mediationanswers.com.au. Um, you can find out about the book um, and also how to purchase it, and I'm happy to answer questions there as well. There's a form people who want to ask questions. And for you, Mark, what's the uh, best way to find out about your offerings? Absolutely. Well, we're in Melbourne, but we work all around Australia. They can find me at www.hallchadwickmelb.com.au. And like this is a really great example here on Small Biz Matters where you should prepare yourself in advance, get your head around what might happen, what the process is. And uh, by listening to one of these podcasts, for example, you can really arm yourself with knowledge. Thank mm. you, Zoe and Mark, for joining me in the Pleasure. studio here. Pleasure. Now, we'll be back next week, of course, with uh, another great guest here on Small Biz Matters. We are completely overwhelmed with lots of people wanting to come to talk to us. We have yet to repeat a topic since we began four years ago and I'd like to thank all of my expert guests including yourselves for coming on the show and just sharing all that knowledge. If you want to catch up you can go to smallbizmatters.com.au, follow us on Facebook and I'm available on LinkedIn as well. Alexi Boyd, thanks for listening to the show today guys. We'll see you all next week.